Go for Leadership, the podcast with Daniel and Gerd. Hello and welcome for today's Go for Leadership podcast. My guest today is Dan Nuremberg. Go for Leadership interviews. Dan, welcome to the show. Daniel, it's a pleasure to join you today. I'm really looking forward to our exchange. Awesome. Dan, like always, we ask our guests to introduce themselves within 30 seconds. So Dan, show I'll is I'll yours. I'll do my best. I'll do my <laughs> best. You can probably hear from my accent that I'm from North America. I grew up and studied in the Midwest. I have a background in psychology. I spent 10 years in California working with two high-tech companies. They were both very high growth, which meant I got exposed to leadership and management at a pretty early age, perhaps too early. And when that last company went out of business, I probably would have stayed there forever, but I decided to grab a backpack and head to Europe and um, came to Europe for a couple of weeks, which really struck me. And long story short, since I had no real obligations in California, I decided to stay a little bit longer. And that two weeks has now been nearly 30 years. So I bumped into a few people from an organization called the Siemens AG, and uh, sooner than later, I was, had joined their uh, executive development group and spent four years with Siemens working with them in uh, leadership and team uh, building exercises in Germany and the UK and also in France. And Siemens really set a gold standard, sets a gold standard for education and learning, and it was a great um, laboratory for me, and they gave me some great opportunities. And Then I later started my own learning and development company, which focused on leadership, team building, and communication skills called Envision Learning. And I ran that for about 25 years. And during that time, we worked with about 25,000 professionals in 26 different countries, uh, including uh, 76 nationalities. So I've had quite a, quite a wonderful run here on my uh, two-week holiday in Europe. <laughs> I love that. So you, you have been in the, in the heart, let's say, of, of leadership, uh, uh, let's say, or, or let's say surrounded by many leaders. Um, so, you know, I would say very well what uh, leaders do and what leaders uh, don't do. Maybe you can give us a glimpse. What is your defini definition of, of good leadership? Well, that's a great question, one that's often asked many times. And let me, let me say that, you know, I think we all, there's this question about whether leaders are born or whether they're made. And uh, I think it's both. I think that we can all learn to be better leaders. And fundamentally, I think the key to leadership is to, you know, help other people be successful. And let me just unpack that just a bit, because we need to understand what, what success means. Success for me is the intersection between achievement and fulfillment. So, you know, we probably all know people who have, you know, achieved a lot, but never felt fulfilled. And you need that balance. And I think a, a leader, he or she, helps people to really, you know, achieve beyond their boundaries, to, to, to do more than they think they could, but also to find peace and satisfaction with what they do. I think there's an element of that. And, uh, and that starts with the leader. If, if, a, if, if a leader, if she shows that she's both achievement oriented and, 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 and fulfilled in what she does, then other people want to model that. So that's what I would say. I think that's a great, uh, a great kind of definition. You just mentioned maybe you probably have been too early in, in a leadership position and how, how, um, would you define the right moment for somebody to step into a leadership position or what is in your aspect a very important or key essential to have ready, let's say, before going into the first leadership position? 
Yeah. And I don't know. That's a great question. I don't know if any of us are ever ready for that. But often people that move into leadership are those people that, um, number one, they, they fit into the culture that they're working in. They manage what is asked of them and perhaps a little bit more. And they show an appetite to want to do more. And that's what usually pushes someone into leadership. I said for me personally, and maybe it's because I'm a real student of leadership, you know, I help others to improve their leadership performance that I can look back maybe with a certain degree of reflection to my past. I think in my early leadership days, I was extremely, let's say, results driven. Um, and, and that was the primary focus of, of, um, of my leadership, let's say, agenda, and perhaps overlooked certain people sensitivities. Mm -hmm. So I think the most important thing for someone stepping into a leadership role today, I would say, is to be yourself, be authentic, be able to show that you're vulnerable. Don't expect to have all the answers that you're uh, yourself. I think this has been a big change of what we expect of leaders today as to what we expected of them, let's say, 10, 20, or even 30 years ago. I think you just mentioned a very important topic as well as that that we as leaders are just human beings, right? So vulnerability is, of course, something that, that is with us. In your book, you outlined that uh, a little more deeper. Maybe you can give us a glimpse on, on how or to which extent vulnerability is, is important for, for leaders. Yeah, well, I think it's everything because the vulnerability is connected uh, very closely with authenticity. And we know that being authentic is the core thing. If you're not being authentic as a leader, then people don't really know how to react to you because they're always playing against a model or a mask. And it's really been something that I've seen time and time again, you know, across cultures, across different businesses, across different sizes of companies, those leaders that could express vulnerability, which is not a weakness or it's not incompetence, but just to be honest was really important. And I even opened my book with a story about vulnerability that I learned at a very, very young age, which was quite profound for me. And it really, it's, it's stayed with me even to this day. Mm -hmm. um, something that, that uh, I think we discussed in, in the uh, introduction, that um, taking ownership as well uh, for leaders is, is very essential. So once you take, let's say, your first Uh, leadership role or position uh, besides let's say uh, that maybe you are not really or can be really prepared of but to really go for the next step and have that that really wish and and also the the yeah the 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 the, the way of getting let's say to that position how do you see that uh, ask or, or topic uh, of of taking really ownership of of something and and showing pride of executing well It, it's, a, it's a good question. Let me unpack that in, 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 in a way. I mean, my, first of all, my work is primarily with either the executive team in an organization or strategic teams. Those could be sort of the functional heads or supply chain management or manufacturing or something like that. Um, but let me share what this, what this ownership means. And this is where this ownership concept comes into the book. And people say, what is ownership? And, and Let me just say a little bit about that. Let's just imagine that you're a team lead. And obviously your first responsibility is to, you know, support your team and to make sure that that team, that you own the objectives that you're responsible for. Um, yet we see in today's business climate with the degree of complexity, the speed of change and the diverse workplace that's out there is that ownership for me is beyond our functional responsibility. So if I'm a team lead, what I also want to be doing is 
really being proactive and seeking out other team leads who are at my level and saying, hey, how well is our team supporting you to be successful? Uh, and, and, and vice versa, how well are you supporting me? And when we start to collaborate you know, beyond our own functional basis, this you know, getting out of this so-called silo thinking, if you will, you know, we begin to transform what leadership and what ownership is all about. And we, we, we start to own up to a higher purpose than just our team function. And what that means in an executive team or in a very strategic team, you know, my experience is, is that, you know, you have a, a CEO and, and her team, all very competent people running a function. And often people will say, boy, I wish they just let me do my job. Maybe they had a manufacturer. I'll say, what's that? I'll say, well, just let me run my function. And what I try to remind these people in a senior leadership team is that they have a foot in their function and in that team, but they also have a foot in the executive team, if you will. And that's what I call managing the dilemma. And if you're really, really stepping up to ownership, what this means is sometimes I might have to take a decision that's maybe not so good for my supply chain group, but I know it's good for the overall business. And this is sort of a a transformation that's taking place across the business. So that's sort of a, a broader scope of ownership as I see it. And I fully support your view and I like that in particular because my experience in, in particular to large corporations is that there's always this dilemma of contradicting targets or, or like you said, silo thinking. So, so how you can, how do you break that vault and, and, and really ask, let's say, people to take ownership for the whole company And even not only for the company, for the whole, let's say, we, we, I mean, the, 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 the borders are endless at the end, but how do you take, let's say, the, the ownership for the whole company? Well, I think it, it's a great question. I think it starts with just, you know, transparency and, 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 and getting out on the table where people's interests are and looking about how are we measured and, uh, you know, what are we evaluated for and, and how can we be successful? And uh, on some degree, we need to fight for our function. I mean, this is clear. I mean, the, the a team leader or a functional leader needs to defend, you know, his or her people and the purpose of their business. But today, if we're really going to be successful, we only do that by maximizing achieving strategic targets. And strategic targets can, can, usually, can only be accomplished by, let's say, the combination of different functions working together to serve a higher business purpose. And that's why I often talk, I talk uh, quite extensively in my book about making sure that the customer is at the center of everything that you do, because that's also a type of currency, if you will. It's a type of, it's a type of engagement currency that whether you're a, a software developer, whether you're in customer care, whether you're in sales, I've rarely met people that didn't really want to serve the customer. But when we're simply talking about our functional targets and priorities, they're often conflicting. But if we can keep that customer at the center of the conversation in the executive team, in the strategic meetings, um, then we're going to have a lot better, a lot uh, higher opportunity of reaching a higher level of engagement and ownership. So you, you have engaged with many, many different professionals and have supported them in the development path. So, um, To which extent do you think those those people have have been able to to foster that level of let's say I, I bring it into the play with with the magic cycles of of Sam and Cynic right starting the question starting with why uh, and and uh, by answering this question you encounter often well what is what is my implication to the whole game uh, towards the customer so um, what kept those executives awake at night and how could you have let's say supported them in developing into them uh, them into the right path yeah 
Fair enough. I think that, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about how, how, how change, how changes has really changed, if you will, how the speed of business is moving much faster. And in, in my work with leaders, the, one of the single most important things I encourage them to do is to really um, invest heavily in developing a strong and effective leadership team. Uh, because I think what happens is you begin to move through the leadership ranks. People are used to, let me say, using their executive muscle to get things done. You know, they have their few go-to people and they can get things done. But the higher and the more successful or the more advanced uh, that, you be, that you grow in an organization, um, the fewer things that you can do. And the fewer that you know about the absolute details of what's uh, going on. So I encourage senior leaders to to continue to double down, maybe resist the temptation to do things themselves and to really build strong teams that can really stand on their own. And I think one, one aspect you also covered in the book that I very like is, is let's say how meetings matter, let's say this way and, and how good meetings, let's say, are required for those leaders to really bring that, let's say, attitude and that thrive to, to the different teams. Maybe you can also outline that a little bit. Well, meetings are a, a fundamental aspect of business excellence. And I have a quite a long background in sports. Uh, I played a lot of sports when I was growing up, both in high school and university. And, and no matter how good you become, you always go back every season and work on the fundamentals. And I think often we take things like meetings for granted. It's things that we have to do. They're just a part of the, maybe we might say, altog or everyday business, if you will. But the what happens in a meeting is what happens in the business. And I can sit in on a leadership meeting for an hour or two hours or three hours and probably 30% of my consulting advising time is spent just watching meetings and then giving feedback. But you can tell a lot about what's happening in an organization by the way leadership meetings are run. Do they start on time? Is there a good constructive challenge? Do they track their decisions? Um, Is there a good uh, collaborative climate uh, where people are building on ideas or do you feel like it's a group of Roman gladiators who are eating at each other? So a meeting culture is really everything to the success of a business. And sometimes when I approach an executive and say, well, uh, I'd be more than happy to sit on your meetings and perhaps make some observation. They say, well, you know, Dan, that's, you know, what we do at the, uh, at the, at the entry level. And uh, then maybe after some discussion, they invite me to sit in the meeting and they do see that they can learn some things about how they run their meetings. And the benefit is they can multiply that and replicate that in all the other meetings in the company. So I think it's a tremendous performance booster. Do you think that the meeting culture has, um, let's say, evolved or let's say uh, changed throughout the different decades? Well, I think so, because if we look back to the past, I mean, we're, and this is really the essence of my, this is really the essence of my book is that leadership in the past was really about the heroic individual. You know, even today, even today, and, and you know, there are a lot of good books out there on, on, on let's say, leader development. You know, there's serve leadership, there's heroic leadership, there are leadership models just by the hundreds. But the organization of the past was really based on a model where the leader was an individual endeavor. And we sort of rallied behind um, that heroic leader, that man or woman that sort of had the answers, if you will. And then everybody followed to execute. But the speed of change today, the complexity and the diversity of the workforce is calling on a new type of leadership. So I really believe we're at a crossroads. 
And I believe that this, let me just say, while I believe that individual leader development is important, the future of leadership is leadership teams. And this is not a bottom-up process. This is a top-down process. It's leadership teams that are really going to guide companies to their future success. And here's why. There's, you know, we have individual leaders where we make a lot of investment. And here we can help people improve their, let's say, leadership performance. But what we know is, is that there is no individual contribution no matter from any part of the business that leads directly into an organizational result without growing, going through a leadership team. So that's why it's important that we begin to put more emphasis on leadership teams as let's say the unit of analysis. We spent, and I'll be a little bit provocative here, we spent far too much time coaching the players where we should be coaching teams. That's what's really gonna move us to transformational growth. The early adapters to leadership team development as a team construct is the next big thing in organizational development. Do you think it's, uh, and I, I like that, that idea in particular because, um, I mean, teams are, let's say, the, the, the smallest unit, so to say, of an organization. Um, in particular, now the differences between maybe smaller and, and larger uh, corporations, do you think that in that particular times of, of meeting culture and how you interact in between, also maybe now being influenced with, with COVID, is, do you think that there's a lot to be improved in terms of meeting culture? Well, I think it's, it's something that we have to have under constant review. I mean, I'm in certain situations where I see really, really good meetings. You know, I see, I see leaders and teams that really balance um, let's say a results orientation to their meeting with a collaborative climate, you know, or they maybe even have observers, maybe after working with me for a while, how to sort of coach their own meeting so they can improve. But is there opportunity for improvement? Yes, I, I believe uh, significant. And of course, now we've gone primarily to a, a virtual platform, which has led us perhaps more to a little more results orientation and dealing with the tactical operational aspects of the business. And I know that many of my clients uh, are, you know, looking forward to the time when we can come back and do more face-to-face -face stuff where there's more of a intimate touch with the people. Do you think in that virtual world, it has become much more, let's say, opportune to set up meetings because it's not that, let's say, the barrier is, is not that high? Because I, I encounter that um, at, at this stage, it's, um, if you go for a physical meeting, right, you know, you, you have to prepare, you have costs in, in terms of travel, um, so you, you prepare an agenda, you prepare uh, uh, already, already an, an objective that you want to achieve in the meeting, you set up the meeting to put the right people in, the decision makers. So there's a lot of more procedures in front and behind the meeting itself. And I, I see these days that uh, with setting up a Teams, a Zoom or, or a Cisco WebEx meeting, it's so easy. It's two clicks away and it, it's so fast to put 20, 30, 40 people into that meeting. So do you also uh, have encountered that kind of, of, let's say, issues? Well, yes, and I think you're right. It's, it's you know, the, 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 the Zoom culture of meetings or teams or whatever it is, it's a little bit like being able to eat anything you want and not gain weight. You know, you just, mm -hmm. you just keep pouring it on and being able to move click to click in different meetings in different regions of the world you know, really leads to overload. It leads to poor meeting quality. 
uh, lower results, um, you know, employee burnout. So I think that those things that you mentioned earlier about, is the meeting have a clear focus? Is there an agenda? Uh, making sure that meetings don't end on the hour. You know, we should never end a meeting on the hour because if you end one meeting on the hour and the next meeting starts in the hour, you either got to leave one meeting early or you're going to be late to the next meeting. So you've already broken the promise culture, which is really important for a high performance culture. So I think that these things that you mentioned that I talk about in my book uh, also need to be implied and, and put into place as it results to virtual meetings as well. Now, uh, I think it's in, in particular a challenge if you, if you are leading a team of leaders, right? So how, uh, what advice would you give a leader for the right composition of, of a team, of a high-performance team? What do you mean by composition? So what members you would, would uh, let's say, suggest um, skills or whatever? Now, fair question. I mean, the reality of your question is, Daniel, the reality is most senior leaders, most CEOs even, don't get to choose their team. Mm -hmm. You know, and this is the mark of a good leader. The mark of a good leader is when I come in, in most cases, I'm going to inherit a team. Mm -hmm. and, and so the question becomes, the question becomes, how do I make the most out of this team? So I think that's first about so if I'm in, and that's where, that's one of the areas that I, I do a lot of work. So let's say a new leader uh, takes over a new team or a new leader comes in, takes over a new team in a new organization. And I'm often asked to help accelerate that process like a type of insurance policy. And of course, the steps that a leader wants to take in that situation, and this is maybe a little bit different answer to your question, but it's about how can I very quickly make a connection with those people? So I understand what their strengths are, what their areas of development are. How well can I, can I understand the situation of this business? Number two. Number three, can I, can I drive a, a, a very strong expectation exchange so that I can share the expectations that I have of the individual members and the collective members of the team? And can they also share what they expect of me? And last but not least, can I be clear about my executive agenda or my leadership agenda, if you will? Um, you know, what are the key things that I want to see happen? And there, as a senior leader, I want to focus on what I want to accomplish, but not get too much into the how, because that should be more about the team. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of the process that you're going through. And of course, then a follow-up question is then, you know, what happens if somebody doesn't fit in? And then you've got to make some tough choices about that either the person has to change, you've got to change the person or change the person. But what I always remind senior leaders when they take over a new team and they perhaps express that, well, maybe I need to change this team out. I always remind them that if you look at any championship team, whether it's soccer, football, cricket, basketball, or anything, the teams that win championships don't win with all A players. They've got A players, they've got B players, and they've got C players. So the role of a leader is how do I make the most out of the players that I have in this team? And, um, and that's what I would say on that issue. I think the, the, the points you mentioned, it's, uh, I think, a very essential path to start, let's say, like you said, right, starting a new encounter with, with a leadership team. Um, what skills, uh, and I think one of the questions I have is, I think communication is an essence uh, skill set that is required, so active communication for, for leaders. Do you would say there are other skills required these days for, for senior leaders? Well, let's stay with let's stay with active communication because we, I think we can unpack that a little bit. What mm -hmm. that really means, and I put a lot of focus on that in my book, and because it's really one of the first signature strengths 
of a highly effective leadership team. And that is to develop the ability to develop and maintain resilient relationships. And that perhaps is, is a part of what you might refer to as active communication. And resilient relationships are so absolutely critical because this means that I have the ability to share what I really think, often unfiltered in a leadership team, to be able to share you know, where I'm struggling, what I'm thinking, or maybe to challenge another member of the leadership team. This always shouldn't be related to the CEO to be criticizing or challenging some other part of the business. And, and being having a resilient relationships means I can make that challenge, I can push someone, I can challenge someone, and people can take that and sort of bounce back with that. So that helps us uncover problems, think creatively, and really uh, uh, have a good challenge in strategic reviews and things of that nature. So I think that, that, that we shouldn't just skip over that. That's really, really fundamental. What's the quality of the conversation? What's the quality of, of resilience in the relationships? And, and, you know, sometimes, sometimes when I'm talking to a leadership team, they might say, well, we don't really have any disagreements. We don't really have any conflicts. And then, of course, my yellow flag goes up. And it's what I call the country club mentality, that either they're not being honest with each other, they're not really sharing, or, or, or something else is going on there. And that, you know, we know statistically, you know, factually, that 60% of executives feel that trust is an issue in their team, you know, in the executive team. So perhaps not willing to step up and share what their challenge is or to challenge somebody because they feel if they challenge somebody in, in one part of the business, that that person might come back and challenge them and that might make their life a bit difficult. And I say, that's what makes a great team. And I think that's also an, an issue. And I think that's also a little bit the reason why, why I started the podcast, right? So, so for me, trust is the kid between human beings. And I think mm. um, trust is the essence as well of, let's say, high performance teams. So how, how do you bring those, let's say, level of trust back to those, let's say, uh, uh, problem trials that you have encountered? Yeah. Well, I, I think that this trust issue, and I refer to this, I, I call it titanic challenges, which is, really, which is really about looking at those issues that are under the iceberg. You know, these, um, the white elephants, the unwritten rules, the hidden agendas. And it's about, number one, making sure there's a safe environment and having a senior leader that's willing to hold that space and that conversation with someone like me in the room. And then, you know, it's the preparation work and talking to people in confidence about where they see the challenges, how they feel they're being perceived, what's really working in the leadership team, what's not working, and then consolidating that and bringing that into the team, let's say initially on an anonymous basis to where it's suddenly on the table, if you will. And we take a look at how those trust issues um, impact the performance of the organization and how it also impacts the performance culture. So it's rarely one person. There's rarely one problem child. And if that's the issue, if you will, um, then I would probably handle that in a different setting, in a one-on-one -on -one coaching. But what I usually see with trust issues is it's usually a, a systematic process uh, across the team. I mean, the, the danger with, with that is, of course, that, uh, like you mentioned, that um, the, the, the trust issue also is being encountered in many individual situations, right? So if I don't trust uh, you, maybe in a work environment, I, 
I, I maybe don't send you all the details that is required in order to perform your job. So um, I, I think it's as, as essential, like you said, to, to resolve that uh, by all means. Absolutely. And, and I think a leadership team is a, is a good place to have that conversation. And that's where trust begins in the organization. That's the code for performance. So it isn't about being best friends and it isn't about telling everybody everything, but it is about developing a you know, respectful relationship where we can disclose really our perceptions and what we're thinking. And that's where I find the, you know, the German word for this perception so, so powerful, you know, Wahrnehmung, you know, it's, a, it's such a gripping word because Va means, you know, truth and Neiman means take. So it's the truth I take from a situation. And what we know is that in any given situation, someone might perceive it one way and somebody might perceive it another way. And, but when we can exchange those perceptions, we can begin, begin to build a sort of a common understanding. And we see that often in multicultural teams, for example, where people take different things away from the same experience. I, I like that. And I think that's also uh, the challenge, of course, working in different cultural environments, also all different backgrounds of the people that kind of collaborate together. One question I, I still have is um, when we look into the development, let's say, of our next generation leaders, um, do you think that uh, we prepare them uh, for, for the challenges that lies ahead of, of them, let's say? Well, that's a great question because we're seeing more and more, let's say, younger leaders, you know, uh, younger talents move into leadership because of maybe their technology expertise. I mean, look at the heads of, you know, digital business groups now. I mean, my goodness, you know, they're, 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 they're compared to somebody who's running supply chain or manufacturing or something like that. So we're seeing a real, a real transformation. And I think that, that it's changing because in the past, we developed leaders by largely, um, you know, guiding and feeding them with content about leadership and models and, you know, learning content. And that's not the case anymore. So most of the younger leaders that I work with, you know, they know more about a particular topic than I do because we have something called the internet. And so the, the content knowledge of these young leaders is much higher than leaders of the past, but that's also a little bit dangerous because a young leader that may feel, they may have read more books about leadership than I have, but knowing something isn't doing something. I would say that's where my role as a leader has changed significantly, where maybe 20 years ago, I was perhaps the carrier of content you know, into a group. And then we'd work with that content to help that team or leader become more effective in a coaching situation. And today, content is a given. There's so much out there. But my role now is more about being a curator, helping curate information that's really, you know, valuable for this particular person or team at that point in time, and then helping them use that. So I think there's a, this distance between knowing something and doing something is absolutely critical for the, for the, for the, for the newer leaders that are coming up. Oftentimes there's a misperception of things. I've seen that. I've read that. Oh, I did a paper on that. I know that. Well, that's not doing it. Mm -hmm. And this distance between knowing something and doing something Is, 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 is really this, this distance of starting it, continuing it, and then uh, doing it long enough to get some feedback on it. I, I love it, Dan. And, and maybe also, uh, like I usually ask the question, uh, when you started your career, what, what have been uh, your advice to the younger yourself? Mm. Yeah, it's a great question. That's a, that's a great question. I'd say there are three 
points, I'd say, to the younger Dan. And I can see him back in California starting in that first job down in Newport Beach with a company car, very proud, very excited, very ambitious. And uh, I'd say, number one, I tell that younger Dan, don't be so hard on yourself. Don't, don't push so hard for success. It will come. You know? That would be number one. So don't be so hard on yourself. You know, always trying to, this idea in a younger Dan, trying to be perfect. It's not about perfection. It's about progress. And second thing I would say is that comparisons aren't really helpful. You know, each of us as human beings are very, very unique. And if you compare yourself to another human being, you're either going to feel you're less than that person, or you're probably going to think that you're more than that person. And that's not a good place to be. That'd be the second. But the third thing I would say to that younger Dan, I'd say, continue as you are. You know, I mean, here I am now, you know, a long way away from that early Dan. I'm living in Europe. I've got a wonderful family. I do work that I think is very, very meaningful. And I've always followed my heart. So I've made choices that may have seemed difficult in the moment, but they've always turned out to be the good thing for me. I didn't do what was expected. I do what I, what I felt was in my heart. And so I would put my, my hand on that young Dan and say, Dan, just follow your heart and everything will work out fine. Go for Leadership, the podcast with Daniel and Gerd. I think that's an awesome uh, final statement. Follow your heart. Thank you so much, Dan, for being our guest today. A pleasure. Thanks for the questions and enjoyed uh, engaging with you, Daniel. Go for Leadership, the podcast.